Hi, my name is Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the service. Glad that you're here. Welcome to everybody who's also watching us online. We're glad that you have chosen to join us. I love gauging reaction and response every morning. And so I'm standing out in the commons watching people come in the door. And I see some of you look at the signs that say neighboring. And I can read by the look on your face what you're thinking. You're just like, seriously? <laughs> like, seriously, are you guys ever going to get off this kick? about neighboring? And the answer is no, we're not, because it's not a kick, it's a command and a calling for those of us that are following Jesus, right? And then I double whammied you today because then some of you walk in and I'm standing back here watching you look at the program and you're just like, seriously, the Christmas story again? Like, Grant, don't you know there's an expiration date on Christmas? On the 31st, it's against the law to talk about Christmas anymore. And so we're going to work with all of that kind of stuff. And, and I'm, I'm just going to invite you into a moment together because we are going to walk together through uh, uh, kind of a recap of the last four weeks. And then we're going to look forward into the rest of the year. And we're going to start off by putting to rest a Christmas question that I get every single year. I mean, I've been doing this with you guys for 20 years. And every single year, I get this question in my email box. And it goes like this. Grant, is it okay for us to have wise men in our nativity scene? Because after all, they were not actually at the manger, right? Right? Sometimes the question has a more serious tone. Grant, will God judge me if I have wise men in my nativity scene? Because it's not exactly biblically accurate, okay? My favorite one this year came this way. Grant, should I support Costco when they sell on biblical nativity scenes with wise men in them? <laughs> to which I responded, ah, right? Like, really? Very mature and godly. I know. I'm glad that I set that example for you. So we can make a controversy out of just about everything, you know? And so for the record, once and for all, so the questions stop. Yes, it's okay to have a nativity scene with wise men in them because I'm going to promise you, if you are a parent with small children, especially small boys, it's only a matter of time until Batman shows up in your nativity scene anyway. <laughs> or if you have a small girl, it's only a matter of time until Barbie replaces Mary. That's just how it's going to work. So it's okay for you to have wise men there. Secondly, God will not judge you for having a nativity scene with wise men in that. And if you want to be biblically accurate, just put them a few feet away, okay? And you're going to be just fine. 
And then finally, don't judge Costco. Just be thankful they still sell nativity scenes, all right? Okay, there we go. All right, now, some of you are still thinking, why are we talking about Christmas? It's January the 6th. We're not allowed to do this. We're actually just following a timeline because we're going to talk about a part of the story that actually happens after the story, and then we're going to tie it in a neighboring. Just stick with me. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, you may want to underline or circle the word after, okay? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Doesn't say when, doesn't say how long, just after, after the fact, after the birth, commonly believed to be about two years because of an understanding of the biblical languages and the difference between the word baby and the word child, okay? But commonly believed to be about two years. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. It is so important to note why Herod was disturbed. Herod was disturbed because if there was going to be a King of the Jews, he thought it was supposed to be him. Okay? Jerusalem is all stirred up because of hundreds of prophecies that were pointing towards a specific moment when a king was coming. They were waiting for a king and a warrior to show up to deliver them from the oppression of Rome, and there were rumors circulating that the king had actually been born, which meant their freedom was coming. Verse number four, when he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. If you've been around Christ the King, you've heard this before, but I think it bears repeating. Bethlehem means house of bread. So out of the house of bread would come the bread of life. Outside of Bethlehem, in the fields, there's a section called Migdal Adar, Megdal Adar is where the sacrificial lambs for the temple were raised by both priests and shepherds. So out of Megdal Adar, just outside of Bethlehem, would come the good shepherd who would then become our sacrificial lamb. I just love the fact that the Bible is so intricate and full of detail. And the Bible continues, verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And there we find out Herod's true character. Not interested in worship. He wanted to kill the king. Verse number nine, after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, you may want to underline that, not stable, not manger, on coming to the house. So apparently Joseph and Mary stayed in Bethlehem for quite a while after the baby was born. I've been in Bethlehem. It is a tiny, small, tight-knit community. It's still there in its original form. Not the original houses, but its original form. It's tucked up on the side of a little hill, and, and it's very, very close in proximity. In fact, the ancient houses are much like the modern houses. They're just very close together, which simply means this. Jesus had neighbors. 
Can you imagine growing up next door to Jesus, right? You do something wrong, and he's standing out in the driveway looking at you going, mm. <laughs> I mean, can you just wrap your head around what it would be like to have an omniscient child, an omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing child living next door to you? I wonder if it would change the way you lived your life, just asking the question, right? Anyway, my mind goes crazy with that stuff. It says, and then they saw the child, not the baby, the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I said earlier in the series that uh, in church, I always got stuck in the angel choir when we did the Christmas nativity thing. Drove me nuts, right? Always wanted to be the innkeeper. Thought I could have done something with that role, but the boring angel choir is where I got stuck every single year. Okay, that was church. But growing up at Linden Lanes Elementary School, one year we actually got to do a Christmas pageant, and while we didn't get to do the entire nativity, we did get to, to have, a, 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 it, basically the story was this, it was sort of a little boy who didn't have a voice that could sing, he really, really, really wanted to sing, and then a Christmas angel showed up and gave him his voice back, and, and during a dream sequence, there was a cameo, right, and the three wise men actually showed up, and I got to be Balthazar, okay, somewhere along the line, the three wise men got names, Melchior, Caspar, Balthazar. Okay, it's not in your Bible. Don't go looking for it. But that's what they were called. And what we were supposed to do is show up with our gifts. And then we were supposed to sing a, a three-part chord, right? Melchior, Caspar. And I was supposed to come in, Balthazar. Just like nail the note. And, and it was going to be my moment, right? I was excited about being one of the wise men and, and taking that moment. Here was the problem. Got on the stage they sang their parts, Melchior, Caspar, I'm ready for it. I breathe in and my fake beard goes into my mouth. <laughs> and I choked, literally <laughs> and figuratively, I choked. And I missed my moment to be one of the three kings. Now there's some controversy about whether or not they were actually kings or not. So let's just be biblically literate. Who exactly were they? Who were these three that showed up at the house a couple years down the road? We've often heard them referred by different names. The first one, of course, is from the original Greek, which is the word magi, okay? Magi were astronomers who would advise governing officials by the use of the stars, okay? Their religion was that of the stars, and they actually believed that there was information and wisdom contained in the heavenly bodies and, and, and that people could actually find answers there. Now, for the record, just so you know. God said only Jesus, the morning star, has any answers for life, which means you should ditch your horoscope and read your Bible. Is that clear enough? Okay. Okay. One is dangerous. The other is life-giving. Okay. A second rendering of the name is wise men. So magi and then wise men. Wise men is a perfectly acceptable translation. Ancient historian by the name of Cicero described wise men as simply, or magi, simply being wise and learned men from Persia. There was actually a classification. If you read Old Testament stories where Persian dignitaries are there, they will often call on their wise men to give them good counsel, okay? Gentile kings valued these men for their wisdom concerning the affairs of their kingdom. So there was wise men, there were magi, and then one final rendering, which is the word kings, as in we three kings of Orient are, you can sing the rest of the song when you want to. They weren't necessarily royalty, but they were part of a, of a royal lineage, 
okay? We don't know that much about them. First century historians argued that these visitors actually fulfilled several prophecies. One comes from Psalm chapter 72, which says this, may the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. So there's foreshadowing that this would happen years beforehand. Another historian by the name of Tertullian found Isaiah chapter 60 to be unbelievably compelling awe evidence. He said this, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. So the cool thing is you can use all three and be biblically accurate. Wise men, magi, or kings. Here's the point. The who is not nearly as important as the what. Who they were is not nearly as important as what they were. They were spiritually curious seekers on a quest for God. I love that. They were seekers. They were looking for truth. They were looking for answers. And they paid a great price in order to go and try and find answers to their questions. They left the comfort of home and the comfort of their family on a quest for God. They were following God's star and were putting all of their energy into coming face to face with God himself. They'd educated themselves about him. They knew the prophecies. They knew where he was going to be born. That's why they were heading the direction that they were going. They left everything behind for the sole purpose of just meeting Jesus. And I believe that even though they may have started off in a misguided way, thinking that astrology was the way to find truth, somewhere along the line, something began to shift. Somewhere along the line, they started realizing that this truth was taking them in a different direction. It doesn't matter how they started. It's how they ended that matters. Even though they started off misguided, thinking astrology and astronomy were the way to start off, they still ended up worshiping at the feet of Jesus, which means this, I don't care how your journey started spiritually. The only thing we care about here is that we all end up worshiping at the feet of Jesus. Somebody say amen. So let's ask the question. How had their journey brought them to this house where Jesus was living? I mean, how did they end up worshiping a king? I believe that they had so much more to offer than their gifts, but their gifts tell us so much about their journey. Let me just open the word to you this way. They had journeyed to Safar to see this child. They had actually made unbelievable sacrifice. I mean, if you think about it, a journey from the east to Jerusalem could have taken years, especially if you could only travel at night when your guidance system was out, right? When you think about it, this was truly a gift of time. The older I get, the more I realize that time is precious. I mean, I only give time to the things that I value. If you look at my calendar, it will tell you what I love, what I worship, what I care about more than anything, which begs the question, what do you devote your time to? I tell people all the time, you show me your checkbook and you show me your calendar, I'll tell you what you worship. And my question is this, have we fallen into the rut of believing that, that it's okay for us to give Jesus scraps when it comes to time as opposed to having him be our all-consuming focus all of the time? I mean, I know where we start, right? And it's a good place to start. We start with about 90 seconds in the morning, Jesus helped me survive the day. We wrap it up with 90 seconds at night, Jesus, thank you for helping me survive the day. And we give him an hour on Sunday morning. And I'll tell you what, it's a good place to start. 
But if you stay at that pace, you're not going to get very far spiritually. And God calls us over and over again to keep investing more time. It's one of the most precious commodities that we have to invest more time because every journey starts with one step, but you got to keep moving. It has to keep growing. These men invested years in pursuing the king, and I love that example from them. Secondly, they'd followed his star. This was actually a gift of talent, okay? Not only were they astrologers, which is kind of on the wrong side of this whole deal. As astronomers, they had studied the skies and constellations to learn about the universe. Knowledge and talent allowed them to navigate across countries and rough terrain to the place where God was leading them. And they were actually offering their expertise to take this journey. Now, let's be clear. As astrologers, they put their faith in the wrong place. Haven't we all done that at some point? I mean, haven't we found something we we really thought that was going to create fulfillment and answers? That's where we were going to go for wisdom. And then we found out that it actually just left us unbelievably empty. I think we've all done that. And I love the fact that even though they were misguided, I love the fact that Jesus still had room for them. Once again, it doesn't matter how you start. As long as you end up at that place where you're worshiping Jesus as king of kings. I mean, he's going to honor that journey, but at some point he's also going to call us to make a decision. And this is a decision I think we all need to weigh in 2019. Is Jesus king or not? Is Jesus Lord or not? Is Jesus savior or not? And I'm going to tell you something from personal experience. The gift of intellect and talent is not going to answer that question. Only faith can answer that question. Is Jesus king or not? Thirdly, they desired to worship him and they actually brought him gifts. This was the gift of treasure. So think about it so far. We've got the gift of time. We've got the gift of talent. Now we are adding the gift of treasure. The Bible says they came prepared. They came prepared with something tangible for God. They were moving beyond just lip service and good intentions. They actually came prepared that if in God's providence he would put him face to face with the king of kings, that they would be prepared and ready to lay down a significant treasure in the presence of a king. I find their gifts amazing and inspiring. First one is gold, right? That really is a gift fit for a king, isn't it? They saw Jesus as the king of the Jews, He was the promised one. No matter how they started off on their journey, in that moment, they saw him exactly the way he was supposed to be, and they were 100% right. And so they fell on their face and presented a gift fit for a king, a suitable gift for royalty, gold. Secondly, they offered the gift of frankincense. Gold is a gift fit for a king. Frankincense is a gift fit for a priest, Frankincense was used in the worship of the temple. And just like our prayers every day rise before God, just like the smoke of the incense would rise to heaven and create this beautiful aroma to God, this was a suitable gift for one who would become our great high priest, who according to the book of Hebrews would enter into the holy of holies. That was a scary spot to go. The Bible tells us if you went into the holy of holies without perfection, you died. You died. Jesus is the only one who was able to enter the Holy of Holies on his own merit and atone for the sins of the world as our king and our sacrifice. And he did it once and for all so that we could be set free. 
a beautiful gift for a king, a beautiful gift for a priest, and one more gift. And this is where it gets kind of strange. One of them brings myrrh. Myrrh is a burial spice, okay? It would be like you showing up at a party and bringing a bottle of embalming fluid. <laughs> Awkward, right? Hey, here's some formaldehyde. Enjoy. What is that? That's a strange gift. It's a strange gift. I would call it a gift for a prophet. Isn't it interesting that the gifts line up with prophet, priest, and king because Jesus was all three of those. But this is a gift for a prophet because Jesus would grow up and then he would prophesy about an event that would change everything. An event when he would give his life to die, to atone for the sins of the people. But don't remember the, or don't forget the end of the story. He didn't stay dead. <laughs> so this is a gift for a prophet. It's also a gift for a sacrifice. It represents the fact that Jesus came to die for me and for you. That's why John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of these arrows historically and through the detail are pointing in a direction that Jesus would give his life as a ransom for many. So you've got gifts here of time, talent, and treasure. And then finally it says this. When they came before Jesus, they fell down and worshiped him. In doing so, I believe they acknowledged both his lordship and his kingship, and they actually offered a gift of testimony. This is what they're saying when they fall down on their faces and offer their gifts. They're saying, it's you. We knew we'd find you. It's you. And we are confirmed in our heart. And now, even though we may have started off on a misguided journey, we've now found ourselves at the feet of Jesus, face to face with him. And now we're going to testify to that truth. You know, I don't know about you, but... I focus more and more these days on what I want my testimony to be at the end of my life because I'm, I'm, I'm on the downward slope, believe it or not. I know, I know. Some of you are just like, no, you're not. Well, actually, yeah, I kind of clicked over that whole 50 mark, right? People keep using the phrase over the hill with me, all right? I'm, I don't know what hill, but apparently I'm on the other side of it, okay? And as I get closer to the end of my life than the beginning of my life, I focus more and more on what my testimony to be at the end. And I can say this definitively. As we head into 2019, I want my testimony at the end of my life to be one of love and sacrifice and worship of Jesus and Jesus alone. I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk across the finish line or run across the finish line. I want to stagger across the finish line completely spent. I want to be so sold out for Jesus and committed to him that when I stagger across the finish line, I will fall into the embrace of Jesus, the morning star, the bread of life, the good shepherd. It doesn't matter that I started off as an angry, alienated, misguided, curious skeptic. It doesn't matter that I started that direction. The key is how I'm going to finish. And I want you to know definitively, I want to finish as a worshiper of Jesus who lives for one thing and one thing only. I want to hear the bread of life and the good shepherd whisper one thing in my ear when I fall across the finish line of heaven. All I want to hear is, well done. Well done, good 
and faithful servant. I actually believe that if I could finish that way, maybe one or two people would say, now that was a wise man. Wise men still seek him. That's the phrase, right? Wise women still seek him. That's the goal. So stay with me, okay? Because we've got wise men a couple of years after the whole manger thing going on. And we've got gifts of time, talent, treasure, and testimony. Let's make a bit of a turn. Doesn't that kind of sound like loving God to you when you offer your time, your talent, your treasure, and your testimony? It sounds like loving God, right? I mean, when I offer Jesus that, time, talent, treasure, and testimony, that sounds like loving God. Luke chapter 10, verse 27 says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. So you're just like, that's awesome. That's how, what I'm gonna do this year. That's my new resolution, right? I'm gonna offer God my time, talent, treasure, and testimony, but that's not where Luke chapter 10, 27 stops. It also says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Randy Borland helped me to construct this statement. I put it in your outline this way. We often equate stewardship with loving God, right? How we steward what we have, our time, talent, treasure, and testimony, and we call that loving God. We often equate stewardship with loving God. But if God also told us to love our neighbor, how can we offer these same gifts to the people that God has strategically placed us next to? Could it be that loving God this year could live itself out practically through loving our neighbor with our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony? You're just like, Grant, you don't know my neighbor, man. They're far from God. Yeah. So were the Magi. The Magi started off far from God. Guess what, people? Everybody in this room started off really, really, really far from God. And it was on God's invitation that we were able to take a few staggering steps towards him. So my question is, could we share the love and devotion that we have for God with those who are far from God? How could we live out our love and our wisdom just like these wise men did? Let me just ask you some simple questions. And then I'm going to kick you loose and send you out to be the light of the world. What gift of time can you offer your neighbor this year? What gift of time could you offer? I mean, could you purposefully listen to what the Bible has to say about pace and margin in your life so that when you have that driveway conversation with the person that God put next to you on your street or in the apartment next to you or in the dorm room next to you, could you be living a life of pace and margin and rest so that when you have that chat and it's finally going in the direction of just a little bit more depth, you're beyond the surface and you're actually talking about their life or their experience, could you have enough margin to not have to rush back inside of your garage and close the door? Could there be enough of a breath there to be able to give the gift of listening? Listening and care. Listening and purpose. Listening and love. Listening and hope. Could you offer some time to help? Could you offer time to actually hear their story and then ask some good questions? How did you get here? How did you end up living right next door to me? 
How did you end up with that particular opinion? Here's another crazy thought. Could you create the time to actually invite them over to your home to share a meal and have some conversation. Some of you are just like, okay, Grant, no, 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 no. Now you've gone from preaching to meddling because here's the deal. There's an invisible glass barrier around my house and only certain people get to come inside of my house. What if we could shatter that wall? What if this year for the very first time you actually allowed someone that God strategically put next to you to cross the threshold of your home and you're just like, but Grant, you don't know my neighbors. Okay, but let me just say this. Don't you think God can protect you if they show up in your house? Don't you believe that if you participated in God's mission to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, don't you think that he could be inside of that conversation when you take a risk and actually open the door of your home and invite somebody in? What gift of time could you offer? What talent could you use to bless your neighbor? Can you fix something that they can't fix? We've had enough storms. I mean, could you use a pair of pruning shears and help them with either tree removal or fence repair? I mean, there seems to be a lot of options these days to be able to help out our neighbors. Could you offer something God's uniquely equipped you to do to actually help someone? Could you bake something to bless someone? What could you actually do with a talent that God's given you to create an open door of relationship with the people that God has put next to you. Now, we're already squirming. Let's go deeper. What treasure could you share with your neighbor? You're like, oh, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll love my neighbors with prayer. That's as far as it's going to go. You start involving my wallet or my stuff. I don't know. Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Could you meet a need physically or financially? Could you look for an opportunity to use temporary resources to open an eternal door? Could you offer someone a car who doesn't have one? Could you offer a ride? Could you pay a debt? Some of you are like, but Grant, it's my stuff. No, it's not. It's not your stuff, it's not your house, it's not your car, it's not your wallet, it's not your savings account, none of it belongs to you, it's all been loaned, you are simply a steward. How much more joy could you have if you used God's stuff for God's purpose? Boy, that's where the line hits for us, doesn't it? I, just, I mean, I want to love my neighbor right up to the point where it actually costs me something. Loving his neighbor cost Jesus everything. Everything. And if we're followers of Jesus, shouldn't we follow that example? Here's another one. What testimony can you share with your neighbor this year? Could you find an opportunity to share your story? Could you talk about not what you've done for God, but everything that God has done for you? Could you set an example of graciousness and kindness? I know this for a fact. I think there's enough evidence to, for for. for for me to be convicted by my neighbors to, as a pastor, right? Because they see me. Every Saturday, Grant pulls out of the driveway, heads to church, comes back, you know, 8.30 or so. Sunday morning, up early, goes and does something, and then he comes home, you know, about 1.30 or 2. I think there's enough evidence there to convict me as a pastor. Here's my question for this year. Is there enough evidence 
for me to be convicted as a follower of Jesus? Could I actually love them as much as I love myself? Could they tell that there's a difference in my life because I've had the privilege and honor of coming face to face with the King of Kings? That's my challenge this year. Can I look at my neighbors in the same way that Jesus does? That they are all, regardless of their story, spiritually curious people who just desperately need a savior just as much as I do. Could I offer to God and to them my time, my talent, my treasure, and my testimony? Could I partner with God? You're not his puppet, you're his partner. And I know it's hard for us to think about it sometimes, but it's true. You do know that Jesus came just as much for your neighbor as he did for you, right? He wants them. Doesn't matter where they're starting, the question is where they're gonna end. I believe that God has given us unbelievable gifts of our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony to offer to them. And in doing that, it's really a love offering to him. So some of you are just like, but Grant, you don't know my neighbors. <laughs> it's true. But Jesus does. Jesus knows your neighbor, and he knew that he was going to geographically pick the location where you currently are. I believe that because Jesus is fully God, that even as a child, there were things that he knew. You know, I love this fact. I love this fact. When I read the story of the Magi, I get hung up on this one over and over and over and over and over again. It's just this simple fact. So we teach here, because this is what the Bible teaches, that Jesus was God, fully God, fully man, that he was completely omniscient, that he's completely omnipresent, that he knows everything, that he's all-powerful, that he's everywhere. And I believe that even in his limited way, when he took on human flesh, that there were things that he knew, which means he knew this. He knew the wise men were coming. He knew they were going to show up. Here's my question. Do you have the same kind of expectancy when it comes to your neighbor? Do you believe that this might be the year that God could use my time, my talent, my treasure, or my testimony to actually culminate in a moment where we have a spiritual conversation that might actually result in an eternal change? Question for you followers of Jesus. What if this is the year when you get to bump one of the pastors and get in the baptismal tank with your neighbor and say these words? I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Bam, bam. You're just like, that doesn't happen. Yes, it does. On the front of the CTK life is a picture. There's a picture of a young lady who's a cheerleader at a cheer gym. The cheer gym is owned by the wife of one of our pastors. It's a picture of Derek and Christina Archer standing in a baptismal tank because Christina and Derek used their time, their talent, their treasure, and their testimony to touch the life of that young lady. And she's declaring publicly in front of this family that Jesus is her Lord, Savior, and King. Amen. Do you know, I think Derek and Christina baptize more people than anybody else in this church. And I think they learned it from somewhere. 
I think they learned it from a group of men who started off off mission but ended up on mission. I think they learned from the example of Jesus that neighboring could be as simple as offering your time, your talent, your treasure, and your testimony. You say, Grant, it can't happen. Yes, it does every single time we baptize. I'd like to invite you to put our pastors out of the baptismal business. Bump them every single time. Say, you don't know these people, get out of here. I'm the pastor now. (laughs) We invite you to walk alongside of us by simply loving our neighbor and loving God with a simple offering. Not gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Time, talent, treasure, and testimony. So, 1034, we're done. Would you stand with me as we pray? To those of you that were over Christmas, thank you for indulging me. To those of you that were over neighboring, thank you for indulging me. And now may we pray before God and ask him to help us get this done this year. Father God, in Jesus' name, would you bless my brothers and my sisters as they are sent into the community, into the neighborhoods where you have placed them. God, they are not going with nothing. They are going with their time, talent, treasure, and testimony. But even more importantly, they're going with you. So God, may you empower us to love our neighbor as you love them, to love where we live. And God, we pray with expectancy that this would be the year when you open the door of eternity to some of our neighbors and that we would be able to worship you in spirit and in truth as the God who uses God's people to love where they live. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, be sent, family of God, in the name of Jesus. You're out of here. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.